Hey, it's your boy, TBC, Tully Banta Kane on the Jokes and Jocks podcast. And here today, I'm with my special guest, Kenny Garcia, the hilarious comedian out of Manhattan, New York City, here to you live and direct. What's up, Kenny? What up, TBC? How you holding down? Hey, man, you know, another day, another dollar. Another day, another dollar. I'm happy to hear it, man. Hopefully many dollars. Yeah, yeah. More than yesterday, hopefully. Yeah, uh, man, thanks for having me on the show. I'm happy to be a part of it. Yeah, man. Did I get that right on the uh, the New York, the Manhattan, or are you from another part of uh, New York? Yeah, so being from New York, I would never say I'm from Manhattan, but I, I would say I'm from the, we do neighborhoods. So I would say I'm from the Lower East Side of Manhattan. That's the way I would say it. The Lower East Side. You know, side. like Manhattan. I'm from the Lower East Side, baby boy. That's how we roll. So, yeah. But it is in Manhattan, so technically you were correct. It's just the way I would never say it that way, you know? Yeah, yeah. You got to keep it, you know, somewhat credible, right? You know, We you rep the, our hoods in New York, you know? <laughs> I'm on the Lower East Side. All right. That's what's, what's up, man. So, um. So yeah, what was that like, man, growing up in New York? I know you you've been all over the world and you've traveled, you're doing a lot with this comedy thing, but just a little little quick tidbit on, you know, what, what mean, high school uh, you went to or, or any of that. I, mean, what was I, that like? I was literally just talking about this this morning with a friend of mine. Do you remember those really terrible movies about high schools? Like with like Jodie Foster with the metal detectors? I went to a high school like that in New York City. It was rough. Like in this is like in the nineties, you know? So there was like a lot of knife play and guns were starting to come around and there was like some gangs, but it wasn't like, it wasn't like Compton tough, but it was tough. Like it was a tough, tough school with like a lot of kids, a lot of angst. And uh, that was the kind of high school that I grew that I went to for four years. And then that's kind of the neighborhood that I grew up in. It was like a lot of, a lot of fisticuffs, a lot of like, you know, angst, a lot of drugs. And then the saving grace for me and I'm sure that you kind of went through this is, you know, sports is always like this unifying thing. You know, if you play sports, if you into sports, you know, people right. tend to like leave you alone. And luckily for me, I had sports and I was funny. So I played basketball, I played baseball and I could like make dudes laugh. So I kind of was safe in the neighborhood growing up. And uh, I've always credited mostly to sports. You know, if you could ball, they're going to leave you alone. You know, I had a little bit of promise. It looked like maybe I could do something with it. And then uh, they just kind of left me alone off of it. So I was pretty grateful for it. So you went to yeah. kind of a rough high school. Uh, you didn't need like Morgan Freeman or anybody to come in like that with the. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, need, I, went to, I went to the type of high school where there was anxiety every day about whether or not you would like have to like put gauze over a dude who got stabbed or there was like a lot of slicings, you know, it was like, oh, damn, yo, Jerome got sliced yesterday. You know, it was like a lot of that kind of stuff every day. You, it was just on your brain that like, you know, it wasn't a big deal. It was a big deal, but like, you know, if you would be like looking at your book bag and there's like this blood splatter on your book bag, you know, and it like when that becomes like normal shit, like that's like a, that's not a good place to be at high school. You know, I should have probably went to another high school, but it all felt very normal. It was like bizarre. You know, it's like a lot of shit like that. It was like almost like a the school used to be a prison before it was a high school, and it very much had that vibe. Damn. I it felt like you could feel it. It was a lot of tension all the time, and uh, that kind of tension breeds. I think I, I credit it with like my survival skills. Uh, you know, that type of tension breeds anxiety, or, or or it can breed awareness. And I think that like it just always made me aware. I'm always on my p's and q's. 
because you just never know when shit gonna go down. But that's like it's not a good way to live in that angst, you know. Especially yeah, but a, it humbles you too, you know, when you get out of it. You know, you can for real, you can for real, for real, for real. It's so yeah. true, you know. And like, uh, I think it also helps. I think men should be aware. You know, I believe wholeheartedly that men gotta be on their p's and q's. And if you're not on your p's and q's as a man, you get taken advantage of in the, by the world. It's a tough world. So, yeah. Yeah. hell yeah, I, you know, I've always heard that that term p's and q's. But what the hell does p's and q's stand for? I got no clue. <laughs> I just, I said, <laughs> we should Google it. P's uh, and q's, right? Yeah, I don't even know. That's actually a really great question. Huh? We'll we'll have to look that up so, later. Yeah, I don't know. You Google it now. I gotta look it up, man. I'm gonna have to look that up. Well, All right. So, and then what happened after high school? Did you go right into comedy, or when did you know you uh, was gonna be a comedian? So I got into comedy late. You know, most comedians get into it early. They kind of know. I didn't know. I wasn't exposed to stand up as a kid. Like, you know, I've seen Eddie Murphy delirious. I thought you had to be a movie star to be a comedian. And then, you know, I started a life like right after high school. You know, I skipped college like most of the kids in my neighborhood. I met a lady. We'd stayed together for 12 years. We had a baby together. I started a small business with her. And then that got a little monotonous. And I was always funny. And then I met new friends who were like super into stand up when I was like 30 years old. And then by the time I was 31, they had like kind of not necessarily convinced me, but like they had planted the seed about, oh, I could be a comedian. And then I went with another friend of mine to like an open mic. We just told jokes. And like we both were like so incredibly natural. Like I, you'll hear a lot of comedians talk all the time, like, oh, I killed my first time. And like, you know, I didn't kill. And neither did he, but we did well enough where we were like, oh, we think we could like do something with it. And then more than anything, we were just having fun. And like, you know, when you have a, I had a real life, I had a daughter, I had a woman who essentially was my wife and I had like a business going and I just needed an outlet to do something creative and stand up became that. And then slowly but surely I was falling in love with it. I started to get a little bit of success, like probably a year or two into my career. I opened for Tracy Morgan a couple of times, which was like a really incredible boost to a career at the beginning of it. You know, and then being in New York, it's very competitive. There's a lot of phenomenal comedians. Like I started with Michael Che, who's on, you know, Saturday Night Live. Yep. I was with yep. Pete Davidson, who's on Saturday. That's like Chris DiStefano, Sam Morrill, Mark Norman. Like all these dudes are like killers. And, you know, like it's, it's like a, I'm a competitive person. I got the sports background. So I wanted to be, I never wanted to be left behind by the pack. And they've had like a tremendous amount of success in their careers and like you know on paper i would say they're very way more successful than i am but you know i think forging a career in comedy is hard i do it full time and i'm very proud of the fact that like i went from that to being able to turn it into a living where i can like pay for my house and i can like pay for my car and food on my tables and my daughter got clothes you know so so i feel like i've you know i've made it in the way that i wanted to make it or that at the very least works for me and you're still making it. You're still doing it. You're still, I'm still making it. I'm still doing it. It's a hustle and it's fun. I like the hustle. I get to see really incredible places around the country. I also get to see really terrible places around the country, you know, but I go where the comedy clubs are. So, and I, and I enjoy the life. I, I like a, the life of a nomad to a certain extent. It really works for my, my spirit, if you will. I like it. So what yeah. was your first, like, like real stand up moment? Like, did you open for somebody with an open mic? Or, you know, what was your first experience? You said you had a homie, but what, what, where was that? Where was that at? New York? So that, that was in New York at a place called New York Comedy Club. And I went to an open mic where you would sign up 
And this is New York is a crazy animal at that time. Like, you know, now like stand up is like a, a little bit more of a, you know, common thing. Like everybody seems to be wanting to do stand up. But at the time, you know, back in 2009, it was a little bit more of a novelty, you know, it was like a kind of a niche thing, but it was still a very packed open mic. And it was a bit intimidating. There was like so many people that I got to try to make these people laugh. And I could just simply remember just feeling so comfortable on stage. There were probably like 70 people at this open mic. You know, some of them were comedians and some of them were just people who wanted to see people suck at doing comedy. Yeah. And I just felt so incredibly comfortable. You know, my friend also had a little bit more of a stark experience where he was a lot younger than I am. And he had like pimples all over his face. You know, he was like a hair on a ton of acne. And it was bizarre when he went on stage he like looked handsome, you know, like the pimples seemed to go away. Like he just, and he also had the same experience I had where he just felt so incredibly comfortable on stage. And I think having that partner to run with in the beginning was like important for both of us where we were like, man, that wasn't supposed to feel like that. Right. We weren't supposed to feel that comfortable. And the fact that like he was having the same, a similar experience, you know, kind of emboldened my experience. You know, I, I can imagine that if he had like a, a different experience, I might not have enjoyed the high as much. Like if he was like, oh, I hated it. I was so nervous, yada, yada, yada. Mm. But we had the same experience. You know, we were, we were tasting the same drug. And then, bro, we just each fell in love with comedy. And like, you know, that's just kind of what comedy happens, man. It just gets a hold of you and it becomes like a drug. So. Did you have like a bit already or a bunch of bits already written out? Or was it like one of those things where you had to fill out the crowd? Like, okay, I'm going to. So I had like thoughts written. I had thoughts. I definitely like had a game plan. I had like some idea of jokes and I had both. I had the luxury that he has a really great beat on joke structure at the time. So I think he was just a devout fan of comedy. So he had like a really great baseline for like how to do it. It was just like having the skills to like make it funny. And we're both very naturally funny. So for me, I went on stage with like, some things that I wanted to talk about. And then I was just kind of able to not necessarily freestyle, but just kind of make those thoughts funny on stage. They call it writing on stage. I didn't know it at the time, but that's essentially what I was doing. And here I am 13 years later, it's kind of the still way I produce material. I'll take a thought on stage and it could be some of the thoughts are funny. And then what I'll do is like in the moment, I'm just naturally funny. I make my friends laugh. I make, you know, and so when right. I take it on stage, I'll try to write it on stage. I'll record it and then I'll bring it back to the house. I'll like kind of sift through it. And then that's just kind of like the way that I write. I really envy the guys who can just sit in a quiet room and just legit take pen to paper and just write out a funny bit. I'm just not that way. My brain don't want to work that way. My brain is like more of like, it's like fight or flight with the jokes. I want to have that pressure of like seeing people trying to laugh or making them laugh as opposed to like, if you're in your room writing, it's making you laugh, but you don't know if it's going to make people laugh. So. Huh. Yeah. I saw on your Instagram, you had like a, um, one of your standups where it seemed like a lady was talking to you or maybe heckling you. Yeah. And you were talking some about like her relationship or like, uh, maybe that's why he doesn't want to marry you. You said okay. something like, well, what was she saying to you? Like, I, I didn't she get to just hear was she... complain. She was complaining about, I like talking to the crowd. I think most comedians like talking to the crowd. I like just getting a feel for them. I do like being present with them. And to me, when you're, nothing is more present than when you're just talking to people earnestly. And this lady was complaining about, she was with a dude for like six years and uh, he wouldn't marry her, you know? 
Oh. And she was complaining about it, but the complaints weren't like real complaints. They were like very like when as she was complaining, it was like, yeah, I could see why the dude wouldn't want to marry you, you know. And so I'm not afraid to just call a spade a spade. So that's what I did. And obviously, in that type of situation, it's going to get a good laugh. And I know that it's going to get good laugh. And I also I never want to be a bully on stage. So I also know that like I can read her energy and the way that we're interacting. That I'm going to be able to say what I'm going to say. And it's going to be taken as just kind of like me poking her. I never want to like push people on stage, but I do want to poke them. I'm like a little bit of a poker, you know, that like I, I like being antagonistic, but I never want to be a bully with people. You know, I want people pay money to come to the shows. I want them to have a good time. Right. But I think a big part of having a good time is being poked, you know, it's being teased. It's almost flirty, you know, so like it's like kind of all of those things I like to bring to the table when I do my comedy. Right. Well, especially when somebody sits in the front, too, they, they kind of got to expect that if you guys catch eye contact or you're walking by them or if they say anything, they're, they're an easy target. Well, for me, I like to I prefer to leave the crowd alone. I wrote jokes. I want to tell the jokes that I wrote. Yeah. But if you talk to me, I come from a place where I'm going to talk back, you know, and uh, and I'm not afraid to talk back. And I like talking back. So if you're going to talk, I think people, you know, have kind of come to understand that like, oh, there's room for this at a comedy show to have these interactions with the comedians. And I think there's some beauty in that. But I also think I would simply prefer to just tell my jokes, like come to the show, enjoy the jokes that I wrote, and then let's go home, you know, and hope. (laughs) But there is a certain organicness to talking to the people in the crowd. It's always going to be different. You know, so I appreciate I appreciate that part of it. I do like being present in moments. So if the moment calls for it, I'm going to go with it. You know. Now, have you had like a, a a bad experience with a heckler or somebody that just wouldn't shut up? And yeah, for sure. Like, it's a big part of it. Like, you know, early in my career, you learn to navigate them. And like, I would say I've been doing this for 13 years. I genuinely in my heart of hearts only feel like I have two losses. And one was a lady who was just belligerent drunk but was hysterically funny and she just dominated you know like i didn't know how to handle her like i couldn't see her she was also making the crowd laugh and looking back the way that i would handle it now is that sometimes you just got to give it up when somebody says something funnier than you and i think i was competing with her too hard not knowing that right large number of people and so i said something that was like a, that leaned itself to being more of a bully and that, that's when i kind of learned that lesson i never want to be a bully so i lost the rest of the crowd by bullying her and being just a little bit too mean and like uh, and but it, there's a difference between being mean but if you're gonna be mean you got to be really funny yeah anything can be funny you know, you can make anything funny, but it's got to be funny. And if it's not funny enough, then it just becomes mean and you look small. And I was just like a little too mean and I looked a little too small and she just dominated me. And like she fucked up the whole rest of my shit, but she deserved it. She she won. And then another time a lady threw her weave at me and like, just, yeah, she just was like, I was teasing her a little too hard. Again, another mo- another instance where I was just a little too much of a bully. And then she threw her weave at me. And I was just like, okay, well, where, where, where you gonna go from here? Damn, that's like, yeah, you, yeah, bro. This is this is there's no back from this. So, 
I was like, well, I guess I'm just going to give her her weed back, you know? So that was that. And then the rest is like, uh, have a good time with the crowd. I think you never, I, I, I don't think people ever will come to my show and say I was offended by what he said. They'll never say they didn't have a good time. Uh, I think that that's the thing that I'm most proud of is that the majority, like most, most people might leave and be indifferent about what I did, but you're never going to leave and be like, I hated that guy. You're never going to leave and be like, oh, that guy was mean. Or you're never going to be like, oh, that guy sucked. And so, you know, I'm going to give a good show. And my hope is, you know, people are going to be moved by what I did and enough to want to come to the next show. And uh, that's kind of like where I'm at in my career. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm a testament to that, too. When I met you at Poncho's, um, I hadn't seen your set. And you were kind of like, uh, we were talking to Cody and we had a couple of jokes. And I could tell you had like some edge to you where, you know, you you weren't holding back on like anything. I think we were talking about prison or something. You made yeah. some jokes. And I was like, ah, this dude's kind of like, he got an edge to him. Okay. And then when I saw you go up on stage, I mean, you had me rolling, bro. You had me in tears. I was like, oh, man, this dude is, this dude is really funny. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. And also, Cody Woods, shout out to him. He's one of my favorite people in the world and then one of my favorite comedians as well. But I think of him as a, one of the higher quality human beings out there. And, you know, it, it, it's very much in line with what I think of him as a comedian. So has he been on this show as well? Yeah, he's actually was on the last episode. So you I love guys, Cody Woods. So it's perfect. Yeah, you guys are back to back, man. So, yeah, it worked out where you guys are uh, following up on each other. Yeah. Um, and then how did you, how did you meet Cody just through the circuit? So, yeah, like this, uh, it becomes a good community of a mutual friend named Sammy Obeyed, who's out of the Bay area as well. And I met Sammy in New York. Sammy's a good dude as well. Very smart comedian. And Sammy put me in touch with Cody and then Cody and I just kind of like, you know, really vibed and clicked. And, you know, we live on opposite coasts, but we do a good job checking in with each other. We're kind of in the same position where we're like, you know, we kind of feel like maybe we're stuck in no man's land a little bit, except, you know, I've been doing it a couple of years less than Cody. Mm -hmm. So Cody has like a little bit more of like ugh, to him about it. Like it, it still feels icky to him or it's starting to feel icky. At least that's the perception that I get from him. Uh, and for me, it's just like, I think I'm a little bit more, okay, I'm going to make it work with where I'm at. And like Cody's like in a different place with it, but you know. Well, he was saying the pandemic um, definitely like kind of shifted some of his goals of what he was trying to do. Uh, good. In a good way? On. Uh, way. Well, it kind of like reshuffled the deck for him. Um, and so, I mean, he's happy good. to be back out touring and, and doing his thing, but uh, it definitely, you know, changed just in, and then the, the temperature of social media right now and TikTok and people's attention spans and, you know, what people, what comedians are having to do now where outside of standup, they have to like be more present on social media and create a bunch of like clippity, you know, content. Yeah. It's, uh, a, it's a whole nother job. And like some people are really good at that other job of like generating shit on social media. And I think Cody has a lot of those skills and I know for me personally, I'm, you've been on my Instagram, I have zero interest in doing that job. And that's what I'm aware that that also hurts my career. But I'm just not going to do a job that I don't want to do. You know, I have, I'm not going to say that it's integrity by any means, but really it just simply comes from, 
I've never done a job I don't want to do. And doing that job on social media is a job that I don't want to do. And I'm, I'm, I'm okay with the consequences of that, you know? So that's just kind of where I'm at. And I think Cody is like, oh, I'm going to shift my shit to online stuff and, you know, do that job. And he's really good at that, doing that job. And I think he'll find some success there. And I just know for me personally, I just don't want to do the job. Yeah. No, he doesn't really like it either. I mean, he's he, he kind of said what you were saying where, uh, you know, he's more like he likes to be out in the public. He likes to, you know, be in front of crowds as opposed to just a screen and hoping that people laugh from the other side of the screen. You don't even get to really hear people. Yeah, uh, I just don't. I also don't want to share that much of my life with people. You know, I'm not necessarily the most private person. But there is something about being private in the world and kind of moving in a way that works for you. Right. Every minute of every day just don't work for me. Yeah. Like I feel like I feel like I'm doing special things and it's kind of earned and we kind of lost that a little bit in this world where like, you know, if you're sharing shit with everybody, what's reserved for the special people in your life? Exactly. You know? Yeah. People get consumed by it too. I mean, they they think that they're supposed to just completely, you know, let everybody know what's going on or try to force their life on other people. And it's really not that serious. Really. People yeah, it's, it's bizarre how like in this level of importance we've placed on things that are just completely irrelevant, bro. Like watching people take pictures of their food. Like, yeah, bro, I don't fuck, I give a fuck about your avocado toast, bro. <laughs> you know? Right. Right. Yeah. Every meal. I mean, if it's something like, you know, every now and then I put something in my story, it's got to be extravagant, though. And even then, it's but like... to me, it, it's also got to be about the people that you're with. Right, right. Yeah, the, the whole experience. To me, it's, that much, it's the whole shit. It's the totality. Of, and I, to me, that's completely fair and fine. But it's like, yo, bro, it's 11 a.m. It's me and you. It's just avocado toast here, man. Like, come on. Like, you know, you got, yeah, you got orange juice, too. You, you think people don't have no orange juice? Yeah. <laughs> right. Nah, yeah, the food the food posts can get a little, you know, a little extensive, you know. Yeah, man. But you know, it's just that that's the way that people want to stay engaged with each other. And it just, you know, I'm 43 and I'm aware that the this is the way the world works with TikTok and Instagram. I'm not fighting that by any means. I just know that it don't work for me. And right. and, and if something don't work for me, I'm comfortable not doing it. And right. No matter the ramifications, you know what I'm saying. And that's the I think that's the beauty of it too is that you can just scroll on or unfollow. Like you don't have to, you know, nothing has to be forced on you that you don't really want to see. You could just keep it pushing. So, you know, if that's if you've somebody, been to my if you've been to my Instagram, you can see I follow four people. I just no, not in, I'm not into it. Right. And like all of my friends are like, follow me. I'm like, dude, I have your phone number. I'll text you. <laughs> Yeah, I feel it. Well, you're 43 too, man. I mean, you know, Instagram's only been a thing I would want to say for like the last maybe four or five years. It's crazy. When I was in the NFL, there was no social media, right? And and I kind of wish it was, but I'm actually glad it wasn't because of the kind of, you know, there's things that happen outside the stadium, things that happen outside the locker room where you want that privacy. And I think... You know, it's Adam. also it's it's important to protect sacred things as well. And there's a notion of like I think I remember Antonio Brown got in trouble with you know with Mike Tomlin, you know, where he was recording shit and right. posting it with, 
it should be intimate. Some things are reserved that are earned. It's a privilege to be in your locker room. And I think that's what Antonio Brown missed. And I think the fans loved finally getting a peek into that world. And I, I cited with Mike Tomlin. It's like, yo, bro, this is a, this is a cathedral in here. You got to earn it in here. You can't just be giving it away. And there's a way that we're going to speak to each other in here that's reserved for us. And I, and, and I think, like, in a nutshell, that's the thing that I'm saying about, like, the, the special moments. Like, yo, let's have the special moment just for us. And right. it's less special when you share it with everybody else. And, like, in a nutshell, that's where I'm coming from on this social media stuff. You know? Like, like think about, like, the notion of, like, these people that, like, video themselves giving food to a homeless person, bro. It's fucking degrading. It's just like, yeah. yo, just, who are you doing it for? Are you doing it for you? Or are you doing it? And I get that the unintended consequences that a homeless man gets to eat. But it's like, why are we degrading these, you know, just this is, let that be your moment between you and the homeless dude. You know, what do you need from it? Like, you clearly need more. And that's what the shit was Antonio Brown was. He clearly needed more. It wasn't enough to be a part of this locker room. And, I, you know, to me, I was like, I was with Mike Tomlin on that. I was like, yeah, man, let's get that. Get these phones out of here, bro. Yeah. Well, that like button is a dangerous button, man. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's the worst. You know, people live their whole lives based on a like or a follow or a view. Uh, and, and it gets so true. You know, people get get caught up. I mean, that's why I was saying, you know, you know, I have fans that, that watch me play football and I may only have, you know, a couple thousand, three thousand followers on my on my social. Uh, but I know in real life, I mean, there's there's players that didn't even play as much as me or did as much as me with 50, 60, 100, you know, half a million followers. And that's great. But when you get caught up in how many followers you have and how many likes you're getting on a post, that's when I think it becomes a problem for people. You know, like yeah. I do it for like my family, my friends, people who know me, um, you know, they can they get a in my life. And I'm sure the people who follow you, and I'm sure they appreciate the transparency and authenticity and like what you're sharing because it, they do feel special with it. It don't feel that everybody has access to it. Right. But you can't see it all though. You got to, like you said, you got to keep some of these things, you know, private. You got to, you know, or you lose all your privacy. You lose yourself. Yeah, and then they'll complain about like, oh, I don't got no privacy no more. It's like, yeah, bro, you just fucking show me what your bathroom looks like when you take a shit. Like, you know, like, yeah, what do you expect is gonna happen? Well, that's hey, that's that's on another point. That's what happened to uh, the Pop Smoke, right? The uh, the rapper he was posting uh, like somebody was following him on Instagram, and and they saw his address, and they pulled up on him and, and killed him in his in his uh, his Airbnb or whatever he was at. Yeah, it's wild. Sharing too much, man. Sharing too much. So, well, yeah, so let's let's switch gears on, on, you know, we talked a little bit about, you know, your life, the comedy circuit. Uh, I know you said you're, you're in the sports. Uh, are you, uh, you got like being from New York, are you like a Brooklyn uh, Knicks fan? Uh, so, unfortunately fan? for me, I come from a place where the Nets was in New Jersey when I was a kid, so I'm a natural Knicks fan. Live and breathe, die hard, Nick fan, glutton for punishment. But I am one of those fans that I will root for other New York teams. I'm not one of those crazy. They're not the enemy to me. You know, I will root for the Nets. But if the Nets and the Knicks are playing, I'm rooting for the Knicks. And right now, I am rooting for the Nets. I'm, it's hard not to be a Kyrie fan for me personally. I dig the way the do balls. I think he's a genius. Yep. I mean, obviously, Kevin Durant is. So I, I, I'm rooting for them. It's just not looking good, man. The Celtics just, they play too much D. The Celtics are wanting to play D every possession. And I think, you you know, it's same with football. 
Right. Yo, defense wins championships, man. So I, don't, I just don't think the Nets play enough defense. And the Celtics are trying to play defense every possession. So as much as I think the Nets can, I'm rooting for them. I just don't think that they could pull it out. Right. And in football, you the same way? You were a Jets or a Giants fan? I'm a Giants fan. Uh, you know, in New York, you're, you're usually just Giants, Knicks, Yankees, Rangers. And if you're not rooting for those teams, then you automatically root for all the other teams. So you would root for the Mets, the Nets, the Islanders, and the Jets. So that's like the B team. So in New York, what it is is that if, if you're born out in Queens, if you're born in certain parts of Brooklyn, you're going to root for the Nets, the Mets, and the Jets. And then if you're like from Manhattan and the Bronx and Staten Island, you're going to root for the Yankees, the Knicks, and the Rangers, and you know so on and so forth. It's just weird how it like breaks up into those two little factions. That is weird. So but usually, it seems like you, the other ones are more successful team. If you say I'm a Yankee fan, that also means you're a Giants fan and a Knicks fan. Yeah. So like, but that's the thing. So the people who root for the Mets and the Jets, they kind of have that misery loves company shit, you know. Like, but now all of the New York teams suck. It's bizarre how like you know we can't have a successful. We're in the biggest market and we haven't won a championship in years in any sport. You know, I think yeah. the, the the Giants or maybe like the Yankees like back when it was like 2005, 2007 or something like that. It feels like it's been forever. So. Yeah, I mean, probably a lot of people will pass away too if one of those teams win. I know when uh, I first came out to New England and the Red Sox were going through the curse, when they finally won the World Series, they said like thousands of people passed away like that week. Yeah, they were ready. Now I can go. <laughs> were you on the Patriots when you guys lost to the Giants in the Super Bowl? No, no, I missed. So, so strangely enough, when I went to the 49ers, they went undefeated that year. You're breaking and, up. Uh, oh, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. So they went undefeated. That was one of my favorite Super Bowl years. The, the Patriots was undefeated and the Giants beat y'all in the Super Bowl. Right. Yeah, I was on the 49ers. I mean, we, we didn't even make the playoffs, but I, I at least dodged the bullet of, of going undefeated and losing in the Super Bowl to the Giants. So I ask, I, I'm really good friends with a lot of Boston fans. And one of the questions that I would ask them, and it's pretty fun, I'd be curious what you thought, think their answer would be. But I said to them, if I were to trade you that you could win the Super Bowl for the undefeated season, but instead you got to give me back when the Yankees blew the 3-0 lead to the Red Sox. Ooh. So the Yankees were... And I would say, which one would you rather have? Do you want to have the Super Bowl? What do you think the Reds, what do you think the Boston fans would be? What do you think their answer would be? Uh, they want that Super Bowl, undefeated. No? Dude, 100%, they're like, fuck that Super Bowl. Fuck the Yankees. I would never trade. That's the greatest, base, that's the greatest sports moment of my life. When the Yankees were up three zip and we came back, I'll give you my kids to have that moment for forever. They just want it. They'd they be like, you, you could trade me nothing to have that back. I want that for forever. They love baseball. That's a baseball town. It is. It and is. they just, they, they, that Yankee shit, the fact that they came back on the Yankees, they want it for forever. And I thought that undefeated football season, they were like, what do we care? We got six, seven other rings. We don't care. Fuck that Super Bowl. I don't give a fuck. I want that baseball shit. So it's pretty interesting. No, that rivalry, I mean, and it's a bigger rivalry, I would say, than the Patriots-Giants, you know, the Red Sox-Yankees, you know. I mean, it's not even a question. It's a big, big rivalry. 
Yeah, so I I, I, can, I guess I can understand that, but yeah. but I was a little surprised that tonight because I was like, man, that undefeated with the Super Bowl, that's like history. That's never you never get that else anywhere else in the world. Like that's the only one you get a you know. As a Giant fan, I was even because it's hard not to respect Brady. So I was like, and I like legacies in sports. I think most fans do. And I was like, man, that legacy of undefeated with the Super Bowl ring, he would have eight. I would be like, that's, that's pretty intense. But it seems like that season has kind of become irrelevant now in like history. Like no one really like asked whatever. It's pretty bizarre to me. I mean, I think that's why Brady's still chasing it too, you know, getting that eighth ring. Because, you know, you, nobody really wears a ring on their thumbs. So like, you know, to be able to just throw up the four, four on each ring on each hand, that's, that's pretty. That's, I think that's the, the completion he's looking for. Yeah, yeah I mean, uh, it's pretty incredible the career he's having. And you're down there in Tampa too. You you ever get to any of those uh, Buccaneer games? Yeah, I've been to two. I'm actually friendly with uh, the long snapper on the Bucks. I mentioned today. I had a show out here on Wednesday, and him, the place kicker, and the punter came out to the show. They're, they're in the middle of OTAs right now, so uh, so I thought it was kind of hilarious to like look out into the crowd. You know, the long snapper is the only, like, kind of dude who's even relatively big. But the other dudes, as the place kicker and the punter, you're like, yeah, these are just normal-sized dudes. And, like, you know, when I'm around you, it's like, oh, this is like a big fucking brooding kind of man. You know, you look different. You move different in the world. So I think when people see you, the presumption is like, oh, you definitely, like, but you see a punter, you're like, yeah, well, you work for a bank, bro? Like, who are you? And it's like, oh, no, I'm a punter. And it's like, oh, shit, you know, that's incredible. But, yeah, so they came out to that. I'm friendly with them. I went to a couple of games uh, to watch them play. It's so much fun. You know, I, there's just nothing, like, at a football game, man. Like, you know, the, the fans are just so rabid. Uh, you know, the fact that the intensity of what you guys are doing out on the field, you know, the sounds. I've always been enamored by the right. sounds. If you, if you get people fortunate enough to get close enough to the action, you know, the violence Every play, bro, the helmets, the crashing, the shoulder pads. Like, I, it's, I don't know how you guys do it, man. So it's, just, it's really a feat to behold, you know, to me just listening. I could just listen to a game. Hmm. Yeah, you know, I mean, that's why I'm glad I'm on the other side of it, man, because. Uh, what, do you, uh, what do you miss about it? You know, the biggest well, thing I would say. Is it, I asked this question to. I, I, you, you asked this question to who? I asked, so I have another friend of mine who's a professional athlete, and I asked him before what he would miss, and he gave his answer. I'd be very curious what your answer would be. What is it that you miss about? I mean, the, I would say the three big things I miss. One is the money, <laughs> first and foremost. Uh, secondly, I would say just the locker room, being with the guys. Um, but you can still kind of get that environment. Well, I guess you can't really get that environment anywhere else, but um, just the camaraderie of, like, being part of a team. That was always fun to me. And then I would just say the game game days, you know, with the crowd, you make a big play, you stand up, uh, the crowd goes crazy. Um, you know, those were, especially winning a game and, and walking off the field and, and the fans are, are screaming your name and, and throwing you jerseys and signing. I mean, just, to, just being with fans and having fans, I would say um, after a game is, is definitely – the stuff I miss the most. So it's literally the same exact answer he gave, but he only gave the two. He said, I miss the money and I miss the locker room. Huh. Yeah. And uh, he said, you know, obviously I love competing. So the competition at its highest form, 
was you know something that you know you, you chased that high of succeeding on that level that's what you've been working for your whole life but he said you know the things that felt the most special to him were the paychecks and the uh you know the brotherhood the you know competing the traveling the the chats that you have in the locker room the intimacy the you know all of that stuff and and you know it, it really resonated with me i could see that for sure you guys spend so much time together you guys are with each other more than your families and stuff so yeah, I mean, and it's crazy to see guys like Tom Brady or even like, you know, Gronk or Julian Edelman. I mean, these are guys who, you know, are super ultra famous. Um, but to to me, they're just like my teammates. They're, you know, to other people, they're like, oh, my God, you played with those guys? Oh, my God. And it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. bro, they're just like human beings, you know, who who fart and piss. I, get yeah, I, I smelled his shit the other day on the airplane. So, yeah, we're good. <laughs> you know it makes me think though i wish i would have you know had i known i would have probably brought a jersey or like a rookie card in the locker room and have him sign one every day because some things are selling for crazy money right now so i yeah, wish I but i'm sure there was some competitiveness in you where he was like well they should but i'm sure there was a competitiveness in you though too where they were like yo they should be bringing my rookie card in hand for me to sign you know what I'm exactly saying? yeah exactly. i mean at the time you know you're, you're not thinking like that you know yeah. you're not thinking like that so but yeah, man, I mean, it was a great experience. So, you know, I definitely miss, miss those things, but um, I'm, I'm also glad to be just on the other side of it now. Uh, yeah, for sure. And watching, so. But cool, man. So look, we are, we at that part of the show um, where I'm going to hit you with the rundown questions. Let's do it. Every guest gets, gets, to, uh, gets to have it. So um, it's now your turn, Kenny. Let's go. So with I'm no ready. further ado, the first question. I ask everybody, everyone gets the same first question. Let's see if you answer it like everybody else. Would you rather be a bird or a fish? I feel like everybody going to Everybody going to say what? Say bird. Everybody likes flying around and having that view. I think everybody's answer is going to be bird. Nobody wants to be a fish. Fish feel vulnerable to me. So I think whereas a bird feels a little bit more, you know, you got a little bit more control. So yeah, I'm going to say a bird. I want to be a bird. Everybody's a bird so far, man. And I, I, you know, you can you can remix it like, would you rather be like a dolphin or a shark or like an eagle? I mean, you I'm gonna be an eagle. I want to be an eagle. Wanna, you still want to be an eagle? See, yep. Everybody. It's, some, it's something about flying, man. There's a freedom in flying. Where, whereas if you're a fish, you feel a little bit restricted, you know, to your things. You know, you're in the ocean. You're a little bit vulnerable to other fish. There's always a bigger fish. You know, both birds don't feel as vulnerable to me. Fish feel vulnerable to me. I don't want to be vulnerable ever. Okay. I respect it. Great you question. Know. All right. Next question. Would you rather talk like Yoda or breathe like dark Darth Vader for the rest of your life? Damn, dude, that's a great question. Uh, I mean, I like sleeping. Darth Vader feel like he got sleep apnea, like just while he awake, you know? So, I want to be able to sleep soundly. I think sleeping soundly is the key to life, you know, and, and getting a good night's sleep. And if you got sleep apnea, I don't think you're sleeping soundly. But I also do like communicating. It's what I do for a living. But I think there's be some intrigue if I'm, like, talking every day like Yoda. So I'm going to go Yoda. You're going Yoda. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. There it is. Uh, next question. Would you rather get your wisdom teeth pulled or your butt cheeks pierced? 
Yeah, dude, you can uh, you can pull these wisdom teeth, man. I ain't trying to fuck around with no butt cheeks and piercings and things getting up in there. Like, take these wisdom teeth out, throw some Novocaine on there, and uh, let's keep it moving and let's keep these butt cheeks uh, unpierced and okay. unblemished. All right, all right, that's 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 respect. Uh, next question: Would you rather lose the ability to lie or believe everything you were told? So I'm losing the ability to lie or believe everything. I know, yeah. I would rather. I don't want to believe everything that I'm told. I think a healthy level of skepticism is good to have. It protects you. So. Yeah, not. I'd rather have the other one. You can. I'm, I'm a fairly straightforward person as it is. I'm not afraid to tell people the truth. So yeah, you can take the uh, ability to lie because I don't. I don't want to be gullible. I don't know if you could pick up the theme. I'm just. I'm, I come from a, I'm trying to. I come from a rough place. Vulnerability is weakness, and weakness means death. So I'm trying to stay as strong as possible, bro. You survivor, bro. Survivor. Okay. All right. I respect that one too. Uh, I mean, I respect any, any answer. There's no wrong answers on these. Yeah, next next sure. question. And what's the, there's another one? There's a couple more. couple okay, more. Um, would you rather... What's the one I want to hit you with? <laughs> uh, would you rather be the person who flips the switch during executions or be the judge who decides who should be executed? Hmm. So there's a certain level of accountability that I like from the judge that the dude who flipping the switch doesn't have. When the judge is given the, the sentence, he's looking the, the defendant in the eye. The defendant gets to see the dude who's like handing this sentence. So I like accountability in the world. Whereas to me, the guy who's like switching, you know, the guy, the, the dude who's about to die, got the hoodie on. There's a level of anonymity to it that I think is a little cowardly. Mm. you know whereas like to me the judge is like these are the rules you broke the rules i'm looking at you in your face this is your sentence so i like that accountability so i'm gonna be the judge okay that's what i'm going with i'm gonna be the yeah judge. i i would probably lean on that one too i like that you you know it's a little cowardly to just be behind a, a wall and flipping a switch yeah man you know like yeah, yeah but if it was somebody who you know if it was personal it might be a little different Nah, man, if it's personal, I still want to be the one telling them, like, you know, like... Oh, you're, yo, going, this, you're going to the jail. This is, you fucked up. This is not on me. I'm not doing it because you didn't do nothing wrong. These are the rules. You broke the rules. You right, set, these right. are the rules we set. You broke the rules. This is your punishment. I'm cool with that. And you can look me in my face. I wish I didn't have to do it, but these are the rules. We got to live by rules. Mm. I feel it. Okay, last, last question then. It hits you with the last one. Uh, and I probably already know the answer to this, but we're gonna ask it anyways. Would you rather live, and you only get you only get two choices? Would you rather live in New York City or Los Angeles? Uh, New York City, no question, bro. <laughs> uh, I will say in in New York's New York has lost its soul to me a bit. I think New York has sold its soul to commercial shit. So really quickly, I grew up. In New York City, and my friends, when I became older and I started traveling and I would see an IHOP and I would be like, yo, I never ate at IHOP. I've never been to Dairy Queen before. I've never been to any of these like quote unquote suburban chains. And they would be shocked 
And I would say to them, dude, I'm fucking from New York City. We don't eat at IHOP. We go to the diner. You know, we go to like the mom and pop spots. And now New York commercially has changed. There's IHOPs everywhere. There's Starbucks everywhere. There's McDonald's everywhere. You know, it's like the rest of the world. So that saying of like, if you can make it in New York, you can make it anywhere. It's no longer uh. true. New York has set itself up to be the easiest place to live now. It has everything that you have from the place that you came from. It's now in New York. They've, they've, they've turned New York City, Manhattan especially, into a one giant college campus. And to me, the fact that they've done that, New York has lost its soul. But it still has like the shell of it. So it's pretending to be what it was from way back when. It's like this nostalgia shit. So like that bothers me a bit about the place where I grew up and what I love. But that being said, the energy of like the amount of people, the walking, like the, uh, I think the people watching, the the things that you learn while moving and walking and the discovery, I think it's just, it's, it's, it's still more of an organic place than LA to me, you know, simply because people are just walking around so much, you know, there's just bound to be more organic things that can happen in New York than, than can happen in LA. You know, one of the beauties of New York, I just went recently. We're just walking out of the train and you bump into a friend. So you have an agenda where your day is going to lead you this way. And any small little confluence of events, you end up at like some speakeasy later that night where Prince is playing music. You know what I'm saying? Some weird shit like that when, you, when I was a kid. So, you know, like, I think that that's the beauty of New York. I like that. I like that. Shout out to New York. Okay. Well, here, here's the moment of truth, and it's the last question I ask everybody. Uh, everyone's is a little unique, but I'm going to go ahead and ask you, as a comedian, um, what would be your dream venue to perform at, and who would you share the stage with? Well, being from New York City, it would have to be Radio City Music Hall. Uh, just like kind of the history there, the amount, you know, it's 12,000 people. You know, the energy, the, the, the performance mm-hmm. that have gone through there. Uh, and who would I want to perform with? Yeah, like uh, if you had like an all-star comedy jam, like who were who your other comics that, that you would want to grace the stage with? You know, I mean, doing comedy is very much a solo venture. So, you know, like for me, it would be like uh, whoever. Let me think here. I'm going to try to give you an earnest answer. I have guys that are like my favorite comedians who I enjoy but you know I think I'm very much I come from sports so you know things are about complimenting each other you know like I think you could have two all pro tackles but or you could do a solo too if you just say hey I want to be I want to be by myself then I want to be up there by myself I want to be I want to be galvanizing the crowd I want to get them all moving you know I want to get them all shaking I want to get them all I want to touch their souls and I want to do it by myself I'm a solo act baby I love it I love it yeah all right, man. Well, that's a great answer. Uh, Thank you, man. That's our show. Uh, y'all can check out Kenny uh, Garcia on his. This was a lot of fun, man. I had a really good time. That was great, man. And you are on IamKennyGarcia.com, right? For any future. Uh, IamKennyGarcia.com. If you go to Facebook, it's I am Kenny Garcia. If you go to Instagram, it's I am Kenny Garcia. If you go to Twitter, it's I am Kenny Garcia because I am Kenny Garcia. Yeah, you are. My brother. Hey, well, I appreciate you, man. Uh, that was a lot of fun, man. You got a good thing going here. I'm really excited. Thank you for having me. You got it, man. Well, that's All our right. show, folks. Ha ha ha, ladder baller and peace.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.